Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Start and end your day with the good news. The good news with Angie Austin. Find the podcast of past shows at AngieAustinRadio.com. Now, here's Angie Austin and friends with the good news. Beatrice Bruner, the drill sergeant of life, is back, and so is writer and speaker Robbie Yopes. Uh, they are both speaking with me at the October 3rd event that is this weekend. We'd love Woo! to have you come. Absolutely. Real women, real issues, real solutions. Life-changing, yes. and uh, we've made it affordable for everyone. Go to my website, AngieAustinRadio.com, and click on upcoming events. We'd love to have you this Saturday, 8.30 a.m. to 1.30 p.m. Yes. All right, ladies, I've got one of my favorite everyday heroes coming on, so you're splitting this segment with him. His name is Mr. Charles Clark. I've had him on before. He is a janitor in Euless, Texas at the high school. He says he has the best job at the best high school in the United States of America. He's going on 27 years and he thought he'd just take the job for a little while, but he's got more awards on his walls than you can imagine because he counsels and takes young men who are at risk under his wing and instead of them heading towards jail as they already are, he gets them headed towards college and he gets so many calls on Father's Day. He will blow you away. So I've got two stories I want to talk about before we get to Mr. Charles Clark. The first one um, is about a 92-year-old. You know, as we get older and we start complaining about our package, you know, our gift wrap, as she calls it, we forget about the beautiful things we've learned and lived through and how much we have to offer. And society sometimes lets us forget how much we have to offer if we don't look a certain way. Uh, there's a lot of pressure to, you know, dress nice. I mean, look at you guys today. You look beautiful. You know, you put some effort into you. it. We make an effort, yeah. you know, to dress the part of of who, you know, who we want to be perceived as. This 92-year-old woman at the end, she starts to cry a little bit. She totally touched my heart. My dad's 81 and a poet. She's 92 and a poet. And listen to what she says about how she doesn't really recognize herself on the outside anymore and what God's done on her her inside. I looked in the mirror and what did I see but a little old lady peering back at me with bags and sags and wrinkles and wispy white hair. And I asked my reflection, how did you get there? You once were straight and vigorous and now you're stooped and weak when I tried so hard to keep you from becoming an antique. My reflection's eyes twinkled, and she solemnly replied, You're looking at the gift wrap and not the jewel inside. A living gem and precious of unimagined worth, unique and true, the real you, the only you on earth. The years that spoil your gift wrap with other things more cruel should purify and strengthen and polish up that jewel. So focus your attention on the inside, not the out, on being kinder, wiser, more content, and more devout. Then, when your gift wrap's stripped away, your jewel will be set free to radiate God's glory throughout eternity. Oh my goodness, that is beautiful. Beautiful. Isn't that beautiful? I have no words. I love her. 
I do too. And she's there with like wow. a quilt over her lap in her chair. And we actually put some little parts together because she stops from time to time yeah. just to think and compose herself because she gets emotional. Yeah. yeah. And so we actually took those breaks out, which I kind of enjoyed when I watched the video. Mm-hmm. And again, it's a 92-year-old woman, poet, just talking. And they got it off of Godvine. I love Godvine. They've got so many yeah. beautiful stories on Godvine. Wow. So I just think that it's a reminder to us as we, um, let me see the picture, Rubby. Rubby just looked, oh, is she not cute? Isn't adorable. she cute? She I just think she's adorable. You know, it's some point we all will be 92 yeah. if god wills that's right and um what she has said is beautiful it really I, is. oh i wow. love it i'm gonna put it on facebook today. isn't it gorgeous? it's just beautiful i think i already posted it on one of my facebook That's pages awesome. if not i will i love it uh, i love to share that inspiration okay so before charles clark comes on because one of the you know so many i feel so blessed to do the show because so many people like you guys come in and i get little tidbits like little jewels of information mm-hmm. that i can store within myself and um Charles Clark's job reminds me of the woman who wrote um, God is Hiring. And she told me that um, any job can be magical, just like Charles Clark has made being a janitor magical, counseling boys. And again, he's coming up in a minute. And then she also taught me that wherever you're planted, you know, you can minister to people. Right. That's and, right. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so <clears throat> at this particular um, Charity is called Sense of Home, and I've done some interviews before, and I didn't. I forgot the stats were so horrible for kids coming out of foster care, and I spent a brief amount of time in foster care. But you know, time on friends' couches, and you know, friends' parents, you know, let me stay at their house, or living on my own when I was really young at times. Mm-hmm. And so I have a real heart for these kids because they don't. What? Why shouldn't they get a chance? Right. Just because they were born into a bad family situation, why don't they deserve a chance? Fifty percent of the kids that age out of foster care end up homeless or incarcerated. So so Sense of oh Home started this organization to help them get a place so they're not carrying their stuff around That's from good. place to place to place. Because you can never excel, you can never reach your dreams if you've got a duffel bag and you're moving from bench to bench to bench. Nice. So here's part one, and you'll hear the kids talking about being homeless in foster care, etc. I remember being scared. I remember being lost during my younger years um, up until the age of 15. Luckily, I stayed in some relative care until I actually went into a foster home with complete strangers, which basically tore me apart. How are you going to start your story in life without a home? From my experience, being homeless is the lowest of the lows. Like nearly 500,000 American kids, Barry Bartlett spent his childhood in the revolving door foster care system. Young people who outgrow the foster system, their biggest challenge they face is the lack of really a family that can be there for them. My mom committed suicide. I think things would have been different if she was here. (laughs) Um, I probably wouldn't have ended up in foster care. 50% of kids who outgrow the system end up homeless or incarcerated. It's something a dedicated team of volunteers and public officials are determined to change. They wow. deserve a chance, yeah. these kids. Yes, and I do. know that when we pass them, when we're driving by, we make judgments, and maybe they're taking, maybe they're using meth or they're smoking cigarettes. How can they afford those cigarettes? 
I just think the pain that comes from a background like that sometimes leads to bad choices to quench the pain. Yes. And that's why I'm so intent on letting people know that Jesus is there because Amen. that's what I found when I was young that gave me a foundation so that I didn't make the bad choices and yeah. turn towards other things to quench the pain. Yeah, and you know, Jesus also sends people to help these kids. And and I have to say it, you know, because the United States, we used to be such a, a nation that cares. And where have we gone that we don't care anymore about these kids that's out there on the streets? I, I just see people making a difference, like this sense of home. There's more to it. And that's and good. They, you ended the, the segment on uh, like a point of what they do. Yeah. Are you going to tell yes. us what they do? Yes, and it's going to blow you away because it's really neat what they're doing. Take a listen. I am the co-founder of A Sense of Home, which began when a foster youth, Barry Bartlett, reached out to me for help when he secured his first ever apartment, a Section 8 apartment in Long Beach. He was living amongst black garbage bags of his belongings. I met her through uh, one of, I guess you could say, a mentor of mine. I have a roof over my head, but I have nothing. I have nothing at all. I remember being so depressed because I was like, what am I going to do? I said, can you help me? I understood that I needed to act straight away, so I posted on Facebook who had everything that it requires to start your first home. And I got an incredible response, which overwhelmed me, and I had everything he needed within 24 hours. A Sense of Home is a non-profit organization born out of social media. It's supported by people who want to find a purpose for their giveaways and help create a stable home for kids who never had one. The generosity significantly increases the chance of success in the next chapter of their lives. Unbelievable. In 24 hours, she got everything he needed. Now, imagine awesome. getting a Section 8 apartment, which I've lived in Section 8 low-income housing. Mm -hmm. They're not fancy, yeah. first of all. Yeah. They're pretty basic. That's and then awesome. to move into Section 8 low-income housing and not even have a bed and have black garbage bags of your stuff around the room. Wow. That's unbelievable. Wow. Their uh, website, A Sense of Home, um, dot org is fantastic and it, they tell you I just looked while I was listening um, they tell you how you can volunteer how you can get involved how you can uh, give them money well here, you guys I'm actually thinking and I can't do this yet but I know God's pushing me this dir in direction Jorge knows I've talked about it a few times lately a couple people have said why don't you start a good news foundation you know because I have a lot of people that when I say on Facebook I need help with this that would help me Mm -hmm. And so I think at some point, you know, there's something that we can do with the power that we have through Christian radio. Absolutely. Oh, that's absolutely. sweet. And, you know, um, my husband and I are going to be helping a young woman this weekend. Um, she's moving out of a homeless shelter into her, her own apartment. And so we have in our garage, we have a three-piece leather sectional, a bed frame for a queen-size bed, a chest of drawers, a television set. Think about how much each family can help a person. Exactly. You know, if, if she could just get some more stuff. You know. Pots and pans and exactly. cups. And, exactly. Yeah, and look, at this woman got it all within 24 hours. That's so awesome. So I think we're all capable. And I have a heart for foster kids. Okay, so here's the happy ending part. By the way, in the happy ending part, they talk about how they throw housewarming parties for Aww. the kids, just like a regular person would have. The yes. pictures on their website are fantastic. All right, we'll, oh, we'll check it out. Here we go. Never been stable, you know? We've always been from home to home and like, didn't really have parents that really cared about us or anything like that. Now I have one place that I can call my own, I can decorate, Amen. I don't have to worry about people messing it up. It's a place where I can come and not have to really worry about leaving the next day. I have been shuffled so many different places and what a lot of people's motive to have me with them was the money that they would get from my mm -hmm. mom's social security. Mm -hmm. It's true. Our youth represent, in many ways, 
communities need to step forward. Over the past 12 months, a sense of home has fully furnished over 61 homes for foster care youth. They are currently averaging over five new homes a month. We do the housewarming party and that's the part that I love because it really engages everyone and it gets, you know, the youth to talk about their experiences. Me coming from that background, that population, me being a product of the system, knowing how it feels to have nothing, to have a community come in and brighten up your world, it's incredible. Um, I have a more understanding of life, I have a more understanding of who I am, and I feel fulfilled. I'm emailing producer Moose right now. Moose, please contact for interview, because Moose actually found that story. Oh, That's a awesome. sense of yeah. home. I yeah. love it. That I'm, is awesome. I'm, what wow. do you think? What does yes. it make you think when you hear it? We need more of them. Can we have a chapter here in Denver? Do we have someone here in Denver that does the same thing? You know, can we get together and, and go and go through people's garages and say, hey, give me that stuff that you're not using. You haven't used it for 10 years. I know somebody. I have to say that I am um, so touched by this. And by the way, did you know that the homeless population has just exploded yeah. here? And you know why? 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 Legal marijuana. Oh, Lord really? have mercy. Yeah, because I was at a family homeless shelter the other day, and the young mom was telling me how difficult it is to get into homeless shelters. And I said, is it because of legal marijuana? And the woman who runs the family motel, it's an emergency short-term shelter, she said, yes, the lists are sky high because of that, shame. because there are a lot of young people um, who are coming here to avoid, you know, um, prosecution yeah. if they get caught with it, but many of them aren't in good situations. And I'm, wow. I know I'm making a generalization, but I'm talking to the people that are actually out there on the right. streets. Wow. Yep. Goodness sakes. Yep. Lord help us. Amen. I know. Amen. Well, I want to make sure, again, we have our women's conference. Robbie is our MC. Beatrice is one of the speakers. I'm a speaker. Michelle Ron, Angel Tussie, um, Carrie Conley. Um, we're Diane gonna, Lopes. Diane Lopes. Uh, we've got Michelle Ron. Michelle Ron. How can we? Did we say Michelle Ron? I mean, Michelle Ron's on every week. Tyra Lalo. Yeah, Tyra's got the most amazing Singing, voice. Man. Yeah. So go to my website, AngieAustinRadio.com. Robbie, your website? RobbieYobes.com. DrillSergeantOfLife.com. Excellent. All right, we're going to change gears now. We're going to talk to a man that I greatly admire. Mr. Charles Clark is someone that I love to talk about because I love his real-life story of how any of us can make a difference and that you can be a gift wherever you're planted in life. And so, Charles, uh, welcome back to the show. Great to have you on again. So for people who aren't familiar with your story, just give us a little snippet about uh, you know, where you were a janitor and uh, the high school, and uh, then we'll give a little review and find out how things are going with all your kids at your school. Okay, uh, I work at uh, Trinity High School. It's in Euless, Texas. It's in what we call the mid-city. It's sitting right in the middle of Dallas and Fort Worth. I've been here getting close to 27 years, and I'm the head custodian here. All right, and I saw you on the CBS Evening News with Steve Hartman, one of my favorite good news reporters, and the report was about how many young men are referred to you through principals, teachers, the uh, the counseling department that may be headed down the wrong road, that may not have a father figure in their life, and you give them uh, you know, advice and, and love and um, acceptance, and a lot of these boys, rather than ending up in the prison system, end up in the college system, and so you've received a lot of accolades for counseling these boys so some of your boys uh you know graduated and you've got some new kids so give me an update on what's going on well uh i have i have two right now that i'm i have stay in daily contact with um these was referred from the counselor and uh one of them you know he had some anger issues because he doesn't have a father thing in his life and uh and 
he's kind of, he take a lot of praying and patience and I have to let him understand. I feel what you're feeling. And I, I, you know, and I have to explain to him, my check has nothing to do whether you come to school, whether you drop out of what your test scores are. I'm doing this because I genuinely care about you. Uh, I, sometimes I say, I love you. And the expression on their face when you tell some of these kids that you love them, it's just, you know, they have never had an adult to tell them that before. And uh, he's making baby steps and he's coming along. I check on him daily. Now that he knows that I'm checking on him, he's doing better. And the teachers, um, they use me to keep him in line. Do I need to call Mr. Clark down here? And uh, so he, he's coming along real good, and I'm proud of him. And, uh, and what we have to do, you know, I'm real patient with children. I'm not a patient person, but I'm real patient with children because some of these kids come out of situations that you can own. I can't even imagine. So I have learned to be patient with them. But once they understand that you genuine care, and their lives matter to you. That's what I think uh, is my secret weapon. Once, once I let them know you matter to me, you matter that you come to school. It matters whether you have food. It matters to me whether you have clothing. And once you make them buy into that and trust you, I mean, from then forward, everything used to work out pretty good. Yeah, then they trust your advice because they know that you truly care and that you do love them. And I know you get a lot of notes on Father's Day and calls because so many of these men have uh, you know, gone on to lead wonderful lives. And last year during that Steve Hartman story, there was a boy that they, a young boy that they focused on. And you said that, uh, you know, being on TV and having people see him as becoming successful in life, that that had an impact on him being part of that show. How is he doing? He's doing good. He stay in touch. Uh, he'll usually leave me a message and Every now and then, he'll have his girlfriend problem or something like that. Now, I don't know why he think I'm a love doctor or anything, but he'll call me and <laughs> I'll give him some pointers on how to respect young ladies. And I mean, he's doing good. He's doing good. And you've told me in the past that you feel that this is a blessing that, you know, God's blessed you by enabling you to be a positive role model in so many young men's lives, young men who need direction and who need love and who need guidance. Yes, ma'am. You know, uh, and one thing I'm hoping to come out of all of this, you know, the television stuff and all this other publicity I've been getting, that people, if you ask, you know, I talk to kids all the time in class, uh, in groups, and I'll ask them, say, you know, what do you want to be, a, a doctor, a lawyer, a pro athlete, um, a teacher? Nobody wants to be a custodian. But I figured this thing out. Everybody has a place on this earth. God has something for each and every one of us to do. It doesn't matter whether you're a custodian, a doctor, a lawyer. And the 20, almost 27 years that I've been here, not just the kids that I deal with on a personal basis who have moved, lived with me for a while, or, but just students in general, they, they all come back, not all, but quite a few will come back to the school. You came to talk to my class. You really inspired me. I'm going to be a teacher because of you. And then some of the teachers here on our campus now were students here when I first started. And they'll come back and tell me I'm the reason that they want to be a teacher. So I have a great life. I mean, I tell people this all the time, and I think they look at me like I must be a little crazy. I am so happy and proud 
of the position that God has given me that I don't know no man I want to trade places with. How how does it feel? You know, here you're, you just said I'm a custodian and I wouldn't trade places with anyone, and that God has really blessed you by giving you this opportunity to um, guide these young men. When you get a call or a hug or an "I love you" back from these uh, from these guys, what's that like? I get, yeah, I get choked up a lot of times, and you know, especially the ones that people that you know we they'll tell me, Mister Clark, you're wasting your time with him. But I mean, my deal is this is my time. If I want to waste my time on a kid, so be it. But, you know, you have some that's a little harder than others. And when you get that call from them, especially on Father's Day, or you see them at a ball game or something, they'll come and sit and talk to you and just tell you about, you know, a lot of things, especially not careful what I say to around anybody, really, because you never know who's paying attention to what you say. Oh, yeah. And even just in casual conversation, and sometimes I can be talking to another student and another kid here, and he catches on to it, and they'll come back and say, well, you were talking to Johnny one day, and I overheard your conversation, and I started thinking about my life, and so it, it, it's, it's a wonderful feeling. Oh, I'll bet it is. All right, Mr. Clark, always wonderful to have you on to get an update and see how all your kids are doing. Thanks, Mr. Clark. Thank you very much, and you have a great day. You too. Welcome back to the good news. So happy to have you. All right. Now I Lay Me Down to Sleep is a beautiful organization that we've had on the show. This is the third time that I've had some of the ladies come in to talk about what they do. And there's an event that's coming up that one of our producers actually told me about a couple of years back because they had a miscarriage. It was the first baby that they were going to be having. And uh, they ha- they were doing this event. And he said, Angie, do you know about this organization? And I did know a photographer who had mentioned to me that she had been in the delivery room when a baby that was not going to survive was being born and I was so touched by the fact that she would help this family get pictures it all started to kind of come together for me and so Cheryl Haggard is here and she is the founder of Now I Lay Me Down to Sleep and we're going to talk about the event that's taking place this weekend October 3rd but also Cheryl you brought along your um, uh, one of your volunteers with you as well but let's start with the basic premise of what you guys do and why you have such a heart for helping these moms and families. Well, Now We Lay Me Down to Sleep is an organization that was created in 2005 after the death of my son Maddox. I had hired a professional photographer to come into our room the night we were going to remove him from life support to help us uh, create memories of him. I have three older children and their images are hanging all in the home and I wanted him, Maddox, to be his picture to be hanging right alongside of him. So from that night, that question of what if came about. What if I could share my story with other parents and let them know that it was okay to create these memories? Not every parent has the opportunity to hold a live child in their arms after they are born. And what if Sandy, um, my co-founder, could be the photographer that could help these families uh, create these memories? So Now We Lay Me Down to Sleep was created in 2005. And um, we photographed over 30,000 families in the past 10 years. And um, are you kidding me? Yeah. And it's oh my gosh, I'm going to cry. 30,000 families. Over 30,000. Oh my gosh, I thought you were going to say like 
500, 600. I had no idea the family had gotten that, that number of families who'd photographed for had gotten so big. So this has really grown. It has grown. I think uh, there was such a need for it. There wasn't anything else out well, there like this. The minute this. you said the night before that you knew you were going to have a photographer there, I thought to myself, good thinking. Because I think so many moms are so distressed that they don't think of scheduling a photographer to come to get the memories with their other children. Right. I just think that with, I would be under too much stress to even think about it. It, it and is. The, the other thing I think that you guys do that is just, the pictures are amazing. It's a memory that you can have forever. Mm -hmm. But the fact that you also, I know, work with the women through the process when they find out that their baby may not make it or that their baby is going to be stillborn, that you guys will be there with them, that you will take their calls when they say, how did you feel at month seven? Exactly. What did you tell your friends when they wanted to have a baby shower for you? What did you say when people ask, is it a boy or a girl? When are you due? What, you know, they, no one knows what to say, mm -hmm. but you moms who've been through it, you know what to say. We have a great community um, through Facebook um, for Now I Lay Me Down to Sleep, um, close to 400,000 um, people wow. on it that share their stories, share their photographs, and ask questions. What do I do? And we post those questions for other families to answer. And, you know, they're getting information of what, have hel what has helped another family, you know, might not be right for another family, but at least they're getting, you know, that support out there through wow. families who have actually been through it. And, um, you know, Now We Lay Me Down to Sleep is not just in Colorado. We're in 40 countries. Unbelievable. And it's, it's, it's amazing. So, and another thing. Can you thing, believe it's grown so I, much? I can't believe, medics? you know. And for the photographers and the volunteers to do this at no cost for the families, that's what's really important, that a family doesn't have to worry about what it's going to cost them to create these memories. So. All right. So, uh you started it because of your little baby. Did you ever know that, like, in his honor, did you ever in your wildest dreams think that it would be what it is now, so big? And it's just been 10 years. Mm. I, it's something that you really can't think. I, Maddox wasn't the first baby to die, and sadly, he wasn't the last baby to die. And I think until you've lost a child, you really don't know the pe the women out there that come to you it's like uh they just come out of the woodwork and sharing their stories of their loss it's such a hush hush topic that nobody wants to talk about and yeah, certainly no pregnant fair. woman wants to hear that <laughs> you know fair. somebody has lost a child right and until right. until it happens it's you know it's it's and when it happens it really knocks you off your feet well and thank you for taking the silence away from it I just, you know, the silence, well, it's not fair that they're not allowed to talk about it because people might be uncomfortable. Exactly. Hello, you're uncomfortable. Yeah, you're worrying about what, you know, somebody else might think or feel, especially with like a photograph. Um, that's why, you know, the photographers, they gently edit the images, turn them into black and white or sepia photographs. And it's something that they're, the, the images are very gentle and very calming to, Which I've seen on your website share. and Maddox's pictures mm -hmm. as well. Thanks. All right, so um, interview, introduce Cheryl, um, it, uh, pardon me, introduce Aaron, um, one of your volunteers, and, uh, and then we'll talk a little bit more about what the volunteers do and the event on October 3rd as well. All right, so introduce Aaron, uh, one of your volunteers, Aaron Stefanski. Tell me a little bit about her, about Aaron, so we can uh, share her story as well. So I'd love to introduce you to one of our volunteers, Aaron Stefanski. Her husband, Mike, is on our board of directors, oh. and Aaron is a big volunteer for our Remembrance Walk. And Aaron is also a mommy of loss and her little boy, Owen. So I'll let you kind of go into that a little bit. Sure. 
Uh, our son Owen was born about a year and a half ago on May just a 8th year and a half ago, 2014. Okay. Um, he was full term. I delivered him, um, and he lived for about two days. Uh, as far as we were concerned, he was pretty much okay. He was in the NICU because he was little, um, and his health started to go downhill very quickly. So you did not know that he wasn't going to make it? We did not. Whereas, Cheryl, some of your moms know in advance that their babies aren't going to make it. They may have been given a terminal diagnosis during their pregnancy that their baby might have trisomy or um, anencephaly or hydrops. Yeah. yeah. He, so that, but you you had no idea, Aaron. So no two clue. days, you just thought he was a little tiny. I can't yeah. even imagine. I'm thinking back to my kids being, you know, in the nursery at that age and maybe a little bit of jaundice or something, you know, and you just think it's a small problem. Was this your first child? Yes. Okay, so Owen's in the NICU. Mm-hmm. And after about a day and a half, some health issues started to arise and, and they, to cause some concern, and they... Uh, decided they were going to airlift him to a hospital with a pediatric surgeon. And um, the air cr- the flight crew came, and they never got him stable enough to move him, and he passed away in the NICU with my husband and I and all of our family and everything there. And so it was, it was very surreal, and it happened very quickly for us. Um, when our NICU nurse approached us about having a photographer come in and take photos, uh, she had already called someone and, and arranged it. They were coming in the next morning. Um, I'll be honest, I was a little horrified at first. But a very close friend of ours um, made a very good point, And he said, you know, wouldn't you rather, even if you never look at these photos, 10 years down the road, wouldn't you rather have them and never look at them than regret having to not done that? What a smart friend to say yes. that. Like, look, you don't have to see these right. now. You can just have them in an envelope, in a box. You don't have to see them if you don't want mm-hmm. to. But someday you might want to or your future children right. might want to. And we we are very blessed. Like Cheryl said, not everybody gets to hold a living child. We were very blessed to have him with us for two days, and we got to hold him and change his diaper and do all of those things, and not everybody gets the opportunity to do that. That's true. So we were very lucky on that level. Um, so we did the photos. And for me, it was one of the hardest things I've ever done. But for me, I tell people, for me, it was more about getting to spend that time with him and hold him and wrap him up in his blanket that my mother knitted for him and, um, you know, do all of those things. And and that is time that is priceless. And, And the photographer was phenomenal. They're beautiful photos. You did look at them. Yes. And, uh, so they're they're beautiful and and they're our son and so yeah. it's it's been priceless for us. Um, fairly quickly afterwards, um, we decided we wanted to get involved with now I lay me down to sleep because he they'd was, helped you so much. I was mm-hmm. I was going to ask that because I wondered, you know, how soon you could because you're dealing with other moms who've been through what you just went mm-hmm. through. And again, if you're just joining us, we're talking to the ladies of Now I Lay Me Down to Sleep and uh, uh, Aaron's talking about the loss of her baby Owen 2 days after he was born and the photographs that Now I Lay Me Down to Sleep uh, provide the photographer for them for free for um, all the families so they can have memories of their baby and uh, Cheryl mentioned she started that in 2005 when she lost her son Maddox and who knew that it would be in 40 countries with 400,000 Facebook followers with other families now seeking solace through this club no one wants to be a part of but once you're in it 
you're the only one that can really understand how the other parents are feeling. So with that said, what do you do as a volunteer, Erin? Uh, my husband, Mike, and I both got involved. The walk, actually, the planning for the walk last year started very quickly, uh, actually, after we lost Owen. I think we went to the first meeting on July. I think it was his two-month birthday, actually. Oh, my goodness. That we you went got to involved the first right meeting. away. My husband and I both are people who knew that, you know, this is a devastating loss, and it can either destroy you or you can use the, that energy for something positive. Right. And for us getting involved in Now I Lay Me Down to Sleep was, was a way for us to make his life have meaning. Yeah. And to provide the same resources for other people that were so valuable for us. And so we got involved in the walk and it was, it was amazing. So explain the memory walk for people who aren't familiar with now, I, now I lay me down to sleep and what you do at the memory walk. You can register ahead of time. Uh, right now, um, you can register on the day of the walk from eight to 10 o'clock in the morning at the park. Um, and it's this they Saturday, have, October yes, 3rd. Yes, it is this Saturday. At Clement Park. Mm -hmm. And they, um, they have a beautiful program with some music and some poetry and things of that nature. And then they read all of the names of the babies. And we do a balloon release, um, which is beautiful. It's it's very moving to see that many people. That's what our producer said who lost his baby. He said, you know, that he... You know, that's why he told me about mm -hmm. you guys, because he did the balloon release, too, and he felt the same way about it. It's an incredibly isolating experience. <laughs> like Cheryl said, it's, yeah. it's easy to feel very alone, and it's something that people don't talk about. So being able to be in a park with that many people who have been through the same experience we have and are at differing levels of, of their grief and, and that process was just very powerful. There's something very powerful in being a part of that big right, of that community. Group. And you know, um, Cheryl, you had three children. Erin, um, you hadn't had any. And in the case of our, our former producer, Paul, he didn't have any children yet. And they're young. Mm -hmm. And so I think what surprises me is, I guess, you know, in my situation, I was an older mom. So when you meet an older mom, it's not as surprising to me, you know, to have a miscarriage. I wasn't, I, I did as well. But when you get to people that are in their 20s, that's when I, I can't wrap my brain around it, you know, um, in that situation. And I just can't even imagine um, how much it means to the moms, dads too, but specifically the moms who are carrying a baby that they may already know isn't going to make it to term. I can't imagine that camaraderie or even you've told me, Cheryl, when you were here last year, that you'll be there with them in the delivery room if they want to have you there with them. Mm -hmm. That people volunteer to come in the delivery room with the mom whose baby's not going to make it to provide comfort and a friendship and camaraderie. So no, not not the parents to be in the room with the with the families. Um, the photographers can be in the room with the families during delivery if the parents request. So what you're kind of looking for is uh, somebody to support mom during pregnancy, and that's kind of what the nurses are there for. We will give them any kind of you know phone support if they you know right. my number is plastered on the website. I mean I've had you know women from New York call me you know asking questions about photos photographs and what did I do and would they you know would you do this or could they do that and you know I'll give them any advice that I can 
and, you know, to help them right. in, in that part. So what's the advice and the camaraderie yeah. of, of yeah. the situation? And, you know, it's, it's, we've never had a family regret taking the photographs. Really? Um, never. Over 30,000 families. Over 30,000. What, what do your kids think of the pictures, Cheryl? Because are there, they were there the day you took the pictures of Maddox? They or were they there the day he died. I did not have them with us yeah. when he was removed from life support and when he died. They came in like an hour prior with our nurse and um, she's the one that took my camera and took photographs. I didn't know what to expect with Maddox. I didn't know how long he would last, if what, what it was going to be, how traumatic it would be on them. That is my regret, is that I did not have them there with us to do photographs professionally. My kids were 10, 8, and 4 when Maddox died, and I would tell any parent that if their children are old enough and mature enough to have them present for photographs with our professional photographers. So so your volunteer work, Erin, as we go from Cheryl, the founder, back over to you, Erin, <clears throat> um, you started two months after you lost Owen. Mm -hmm. What has your experience been like working with Now I Lay Me Down to Sleep and you know coming into contact with other moms and families who've lost babies? It's been incredibly powerful for my husband and I. Um, my husband, as Cheryl said, shortly after we joined, took a seat on the board. Um, so he's even a board member at this point. And for us, we've made some very good friends with some of the people we've helped organize the walk with. And, and that's been a really huge support system for us, especially being so new out of our loss that, um, you know, even having somebody to talk about how do you handle his first birthday? How do you handle Mother's Day? This last year, his um, the one year anniversary of the day he died fell on Mother's Day this last year. And oh. so that was very challenging yeah. for us. And, and just having people like Cheryl and, and the rest of the people at Now He Lay Me Down to Sleep to just, how do you handle that? How, I mean, do I post pictures of him on Mother's Day? And and on his birthday and what do we do for his birthday and, and things of that nature is huge because you just don't know how to handle that kind of a situation. There's this feeling of not wanting to upset other people or not wanting to make other people uncomfortable. But you also have to do what's good for you and, and, and what makes you feel good. And, and for us, finding that sort of balance has been really huge. And the people at Now I Don't Lay Me Down to Sleep have been incredibly supportive of us and I, I think you have your your pre-loss friends yes. and then you have <laughs> your post-loss friends mm -hmm. and my main support group right now are my post-loss friends mm -hmm. people that knew me before expect me to be who I was before and I'll never be that same person You'll again. never be the same again. And I think it's been a lot of alienation with uh, those those people that I, you know, used to be friends with. It's a different kind of friendship now. Interesting. And um, the people that I've met after my loss, those are the ones that walk with me, they journey yeah. with me, and mm -hmm. if they need to stop because I'm stopped, they'll stop with me. So I think that's... I know as faith... Much as we had a phenomenal support group of friends and family and people just rallied around us and it was overwhelming. Nobody really gets it except for somebody who's been there oh, and who I has agree. experienced it. I agree. And as much as my family and my friends are amazing, yeah. the people from Now I Lay Me Down to Sleep and from support groups that we've been involved in just get it on a different level. Yeah. And that's huge to have, to feel like I just don't feel so alien. Yeah. So, just, so different. 
Like you don't fit in. (laughs) I want to make sure that people can find the information for the Memory Walk October 3rd. So this Saturday, where do they go for info and to sign up? Go to nowwaylaymedowntosleeprememberance.com or nowwaylaymedowntosleep.com. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for coming in, Cheryl and Aaron, to share your stories and for everything you're doing to comfort other families as well. We'll be right back. Thank you. Well, we've all read shocking news stories about medical errors and diagnostic errors, maybe the wrong body part being operated on, or we've heard about people receiving the incorrect diagnosis or treatment or test results not interpreted properly. But how common are these healthcare diagnostic errors? Well, now we know because there's a new report out on diagnostic errors in healthcare. And here to help us is Dr. David Cook, president of the American Association of Clinical Chemistry. So in this report, we've got... um, Um, some additional information about diagnostic errors. So can you give us some details? Sure. The uh, laboratory, uh, to start with some good news, uh, the laboratory uh, provides uh, great information that is quantitative and objective that allows the doctor to make uh, diagnostic decisions about their patient, uh, both the uh, diagnosis in the first place and then the treatment to utilize, and then is that treatment working? So that's what the laboratory does each and every day for patients and for patient care, and all of us uh, laboratory professionals take that very seriously. Mm -hmm. But when uh, people are involved, uh, humans are mistake-prone. It's a fallen world out there, and we are um, engaged in communication efforts and other efforts to try to uh, reduce those errors through uh, good, effective communication. And that's one of the things that this uh, Institutes of Medicine report points out. That if we have uh, effective, cohesive communication between laboratory professionals and the healthcare providers, and even with the patients, uh, we can reduce or eliminate a lot of these errors. And I, I think that's such a common sense solution, you know, uh, better communication, increased communication. But let's be honest, they're busy, they're at different locations when they're disseminating information on the test results. So um, what are some of the solutions um, to these diagnostic error problems that could increase patient safety? Well, one I'll mention is some of my colleagues at Vanderbilt University have started what they call diagnostic management teams. That's where the uh, laboratory professional is included in the group that goes with the doctor on their rounds. That's a great idea. And the laboratory professional is available for consultation right there when uh, issues are coming up, when uh, people are trying to decide, the provider is trying to decide which test to order, at what time, uh, how frequently, uh, what kind of tube is uh, utilized for that test, what kind of sample container, uh, what to do with the result once you get it, uh, how to interpret that. All of that is is improved if uh, communication is more effective. So the folks at Vanderbilt have done that uh, rather effectively. They are uh, dramatically improving patient uh, care, uh, saving money, healthcare dollars. So what the AACC is trying to do is to uh, mimic that and spread that around so that more of us are capable of doing that sort of thing. 
Interesting. That's a great idea. And a lot of these seem common sense, but everybody gets so busy that it's hard to coordinate. And, you know, maybe the doctors want to kind of do their thing because they're running the show. But I love the idea of having someone, a lab professional there. Let's talk a little bit about test utilization. Can you explain it and talk about how um, improving test utilization can improve patient safety overall? Yes, the right test at the right time uh, with the right results and the right interpretation. That's a short story about uh, test utilization. We want to make sure that the uh, tests are ordered uh, appropriately and that are going to be effective for the patient that is presenting uh, themselves to the doctor. Uh, we don't want uh, too many tests to be ordered. Right. Uh, each time uh, that a test is ordered, you have a chance for a false positive. And the more tests that you order, the more that that risk goes up. And then the more uh, decisions are made that are uh, incorrect and can lead to uh, these diagnostic errors. So proper utilization is, uh, is important. It's something that uh, people like myself and my association, the AACC, has worked on uh, pretty diligently uh, over the last couple of years to try to improve. Well, we appreciate all you're trying to do to improve because, you know, not only do we not want a bunch of tests thrown at us, but many of us pay a lot more, too, for the testing. And that's that scares a lot of people away from actually going in to get the care that they need because they're so afraid about what it will cost. And I think that as patients, we also need to ask more questions. And we can call the lab and say, how much is this? And figure out how much is covered. I think that so many of us think that none of this is in our control, but we also can be part of that team that you mentioned, you know, Vanderbilt, you know, incorporating more people. Well, we can be part part of our own team and be more informed and ask more questions as well. Well, doctor, I want to make sure we can get more information. Can you steer us to a website where we can get more info? Yes. uh, One that I'll mention is labtestonline.org. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, doctor, for helping us to be, uh, you know, more prepared next time we go in for tests as well. Angie, I appreciate being on your program. Thanks for listening to The Good News with Angie Austin. Find the podcast of past shows at angieaustinradio.com. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.